Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to make the gospel known around the world, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Jesus Christ is the day spring. He came at his first advent as a rising son of revelation, making known something of the glory of God. It was not the official and blazing glory of God that consumes all that is unholy before it. Jesus veiled that glory off from our eyes. It was the moral glory of God. And it is that glory, that moral glory, that still catches the attention of men and women today. Not Christ's miracles, but what lie behind his miracles. The moral power of the perfect God. The reason they're drawn to him is because of the explanation for that healing power. And the explanation for that healing power is his moral perfection. It's his complete and wonderful and moral glory. He was sinless in every way. And it's the holiness of Jesus Christ in his life that was his loveliness. And it is his attractiveness as well. It's what's caused children to be drawn to crawl upon his knee and women in distress to come before him and to entrust him with their tears and men in their bewilderment and their question to come in silence and bow before him and plead with him to give him faith and sought him for answers to their haunting questions. It was his sinless moral glory that drew their attention. Today, it is still the magnetic pull of his life upon people. He represents what they could be, what they should be, what they would be if they would believe in him. I just finished writing that line yesterday when I was in my office when I received a text from a woman that I know whose son had fallen away from God. She shared the text the son had sent. I've been thinking about Jesus all day today and I can't stop crying. This is it. It's the compelling... Was he thinking, oh, I was thinking of how he multiplied the loaves and fishes. I was thinking about how he walked on water. I was thinking about, no, it's not the miracle, it's the explanation for the miracle. It's the gracious glory, the moral glory of our Savior that the world can't take its eyes off of, that draws them to him, and at the same time, it's this same moral glory that they despise and they want to run from. Because it's a light that exposes their own sin. Paul gives us something of the spiritual foundation of all good morality, that basis on which that which is morally true rises from any of our lives and is not simply something that's carried out in our flesh and not simply a pose or a placard or a facade, but genuine and real and, and rises from within us. In Galatians, he shows us that this moral life that God calls us to is a life that is drawn out from us because of the fruit the Spirit of God brings to those who believe and trust in Him. It's the expression of Christ's own life within us. And Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because against those, there's no law. There's no law you can give to produce this, and there's no law that you can stop it with. We could actually go on in Scripture and read other virtues, like virtues of humility, contentment, gratitude, 
and purity and self-sacrifice. And if we had time, we might, from the Word of God, isolate other virtues like these that the Holy Spirit would stoke and build and rise up within that individual who trusts in Jesus Christ. But whatever we might find revealing the positive impulse of a truly moral life, we may see that such morality was completely active in the life of Jesus Christ. You do it sometime. You take patience and you go through and read through the gospel accounts and see the patience of the Lord Jesus manifesting itself. The Lord Jesus said to men that I don't know how you can have faith and receive honor one of another. Jesus would not unfold himself and trust himself to the flattery of other men. His ego was not such that he needed the appeal of other individuals to curry his favor and you'll see that he doesn't. Many times they'll come testing him and their testings come with this flattery that usually works on us, usually catches our attention, usually gets us to kind of open up and accept the person's approach and put down our defenses. But Jesus doesn't need this. He doesn't receive the honor of men. He seeks only the honor that comes from God. There's an image of it. You could find any character trait like that. Look at it. Trace it out on the life of Jesus Christ. How gloriously incorruptible and moral and perfect he was. In every way, in every way, all this fruit flourishing before our eyes in the life of Jesus Christ. This captures the world's attention because it is an absolute anomaly to human experience. But it's something that we long for because the Spirit has put in every man an instinct or desire to be righteous, an impulse for righteousness. And what does that look like? Well, Jesus shows us. At the same time, it's the very thing that men turn from and flee from because in the midst of their life, it reveals to them and reveals to others that placard, false facade righteousness that is hollow and empty and what lies behind it is just evil in all its substance. Men have loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And men crucified the Lord Jesus not for one miracle that he performed, but for the moral glory that was emanating from him that shamed them. And that's why they did it. But still, others accepted the judgment that his life rendered upon them. You know, when you come in the presence of Christ, he renders a judgment upon you. He's righteous, sinless, perfect. You see in the light of his presence your own sin, and others accepted that judgment. They did not try to extinguish that light, but they came into it, and they saw in it their own sins, and they recognized that that judgment of their sins was deserved. How could they be made right? How could they be forgiven? Not by running and hiding from the light, but by coming further into the dawning presence of Jesus Christ. And as that light ever brightened before them, confessing their sins all the more, as they came into that light and their sin became more clear before his morally perfect being, they also discovered this one who was morally perfect in every way, who was powerful in his moral glory, was also in his moral glory powerful to forgive all their sins and he does he does even this dawning light shining from Jesus Christ now as he comes before us as he lives within us as he walks before us he is judging he is making sin known but through it 
He's providing a means to save those who believe in him, to forgive them and cleanse them and wash them. For every individual, Jesus is a burning and a benefiting light. Let's go to the third thing here very quickly. So what I hope you might see here is that the second coming of Jesus Christ will reveal the full array of this bright, burning Savior who will bring an end to all sin and bring a judgment upon all sinners, but at the same time, a, a light of healing of righteousness and folding into his wings, healing and fulfillment for all who believe and trust in him. And then you might see in the life of Jesus Christ that was lived as he came at first, that life, that ministry, that impact that will be in full array at the second coming was dawning as a gentle light, beckoning and calling people into his healing. And it's still that dawning light that we have as believers still today. God is merciful to us. He does not yet unveil himself to us in his full holiness and glory. We're not ready for it. He's still merciful to us. For the Christian, this light of the sun is still rising and dawning as a dental light upon us. We're still waiting for the unveiling of Christ in his official and divine glory upon the earth. We know that he came in an expression of moral glory back then, but here's what I want to say to you. For us who have trusted in him, he lives in us by his Holy Spirit, and ours is the daily experience of his personal glory. We're waiting for that official glory to be revealed. He came manifesting his moral glory and for us who have received him as our Savior we can know every single day his personal glory as he lives and he abides within us and as the sun of righteousness dawns anew and afresh in our hearts every single day. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19. Peter writes this, we have the prophetic word confirmed. Now he's speaking of the the Mount of Transfiguration in which they saw the Lord Jesus transfigured and he's basically saying here that the prophetic word that's been given to us is made to us even more sure by our experience and our encounter with Jesus Christ revealed before our eyes. We have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed. Now he's saying you do well to heed the scriptures as a light that shines in a dark place. The word there is as a lantern that shines in a dark dingy house. You do well to heed to the prophetic word of Scripture as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Here at this point in time, I have to part with most of the commentators, though not all of them. They would say that what we have here is the teaching that we are now living in this very dark world, this dark house of this world, and for it we need the light or lantern of God's Scripture to guide us, and that far I agree with them. I agree that in this dark world, we need the lantern of God's word to guide us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need it. We are left, they would teach us, with this light of the word until the morning star arises in our heart. And this they take to mean that until the Lord Jesus returns, we have the word of God as a lantern and we're left in this dark place with this lantern until one day the dawning of the great light of Christ return. And I disagree with that translation. I think that's wrong. The word is a light unto our path in a dark place. It guides us and it always will be our guide because it's God's spoken word to us. But the great value of this scripture to the Christian is that it always brings us and directs us to the light of Jesus Christ who lives and abides within us. His personal indwelling light in us, for us and to us. 
He is now our bright and morning star, gently rising to shine in our hearts. Jesus actually said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. I have the light of light. I don't just have the scripture. I'm glad for it. I'm glad for it. I want to know it. The Spirit illumines it to our heart and teaches me and instructs me. But as He illumines it, the wonderful thing is the Spirit redirects it back into Christ Himself. It's not that He's giving me just advice and counsel on how to somehow navigate this dark world by principles, wise principles that I can apply to my life. But He directs me to the Son of Righteousness who lives and abides with me and rises up to project the rays of His life ever from my life. When we read the scripture then, we see the commands. We remember what God calls us. We get the practical, you might say, advice and insight from God's word. That light rises up before us to shine itself upon and bring before us the glory of the light of Christ himself. We know if we've trusted and believed in him that by the Holy Spirit, he lives and abides within us to express the glory of his moral goodness, his moral glory within us. What a blessing. We do have the light of God's word. It's a lantern that we hold up to a dark world and we use to guide ourselves and our children and others. And we ourselves are a light to the world as well. But not so much because we know God's word and quote it, although we should. We need to do that more. But because we have Christ's life in us and we show it. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We'd love to hear from you. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to send us a message of encouragement or a prayer request. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.